told you um, that that might be the last time you you see that uh, that song. But as we talk to Pat, he uh, he's going to continue our series. One of these days, there we go. There it spots up. Um, one of the uh, the uh, he's going to continue our series, and so he's going to talk about happiness again. So in that transition into the text that we're, we're going into today. So um, I just want to introduce you to Pat. I've had the privilege of knowing Pat for, for several years now, and uh, it's been encouraging to see how God has used him. He takes God's word very seriously. Um, he finds it his responsibility because God tells us to, to take care of our, our family. And so he has actually come off of the mission field and come back to the States to take care of his, his mother-in-law and... Uh, and that's because of what God's Word has to say. And so he is, he's doing that as well as um, still working over in the, the school at Papua New Guinea. But one of the things I can tell you about Pat is uh, one of the times, the first time four years ago when he was staying with us at our house, uh, I came out of our room at one time and he was on the ground playing with our boys with cars. And, uh, and it just kind of hit me, because you don't often see that, you know, with missionaries and adults even. And, and I just got a real sense that, that Pat loves people. And, uh, and he, loves, he loves God, he loves God's Word, and he loves people. And so I was encouraged by that. I was encouraged by just talking to him. And I know that he's going to be a blessing to us this morning as he comes and shares because he, uh, he does those two things. He loves the Lord his God with all his heart, soul, and mind. And he loves, he loves people like God has asked us to. So, Pat, please come and share. We're excited to see what you're going to do this next passage here. Thank you. All right. This is... Uh a man bag. It's called a Belem. And the reason that, that I have this is because my hands have to be free to protect my wife and my five daughters. So that's it. It'll hold about 80 pounds too without any problem. So they make these over there. They're really cool and awesome. And my family's really cool and awesome. And I'm, I'm so glad to be here with you today. When Ryan said, uh, you can preach if you want, you know, we're in this series called Shift, and I'm like, right on. Let, let's, let's do that. And um, I, uh, when you come into a series, you almost have to do study and do the whole series yourself. So I, I've been studying and thinking about it a lot, and uh, you know, we, we sang some songs that were real encouraging to me, and uh, to think about how some of those songs relate to where we're at and what we're going to be talking about. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and uh, be- before we start looking at some slides and looking into the Word, I would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, it's a great challenge for us living in this world today as your children. Sometimes we don't know the way, but, but your Word is clear, your Word steers us and guides us and we just thank you for the words of Christ in Matthew 5 through 7 that, that involve us been going through. And God, we just pray that these words of yours might be an encouragement to someone today. That might be a challenge to lift us up, to, to raise us to a higher level, to bring us closer to yourself, to see things through your eyes and through your word. And that we might be a witness and a testimony to others. God, as I think about my family down in Yuma right now, I just pray a blessing upon them. Pray your blessing on my brothers and sisters in Papua New Guinea. 
and for their ministries and lives, and especially the ministry there at Groco Baptist Bible College. God, what a great privilege it is to serve you. But first, you gave us life that we might do that. And so our lives are in your hands, and we ask that you will take us and use us for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So when I was thinking about it, I'm like, uh, what's this situation here where Christ is in the book of Matthew? And, you know, just a to, to little, little bit of background, make sure everything's working here. It starts really in the Old Testament. In the beginning, God, who was perfect and all-powerful, created the universe and everything that was in it, including man, right? We know that. We believe that. That's how man came to be. Man was made in the image of God. But this thing happened to man that uh, kind of has created a problem, and that's sin. Man chose to sin and rebel against God. And what did that result in? That resulted in death. The penalty of sin is death and separation from God. And God, who is holy and just, has to deal with sin. The penalty is death. But the good news is God provided a way for that. This is kind of four words that you could sum up the whole of the Old Testament. God created Created man perfect and good. Man rebelled in sin, and death is a penalty. And what's the answer to that? And God called out to Abraham, and through that nation was going to bless all peoples of the earth, but he made a promise to those, those two in the garden that he would provide a way, that there would be some hope. And as you go through the whole of the Old Testament, there's all these laws. You've heard of the Ten Commandments, right? It's not just Ten Commandments. It's a whole lot more than that. There are... Uh, let me go back here. The Old Testament has 613 laws. And by Jesus' day, those laws have been added to. Not just all these laws, but a whole lot more oral things, oral tradition, things that you have to obey. Like not working on the Sabbath, right? You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You know, you, you can't do that because that's a holy day to the Lord. You should take rest. And that's a good thing for us if we have a day of rest, you know, once in a while. But Okay, well, what does it mean to take a day of rest? What does it mean to not work on the Sabbath? Well, if you're out walking and talking with your friends and you accident, you kind of do this with the ground, that's, that's bad. That's a rule. There's a rule against that. That's plowing. You're moving the ground. The seed might fall on that. It might grow. You can't work on the Sabbath. And, and all of these things, all of these rules had become just really a religious rule book. These are the things you got to do. And if you're not doing them, you don't quite measure up. And so, who makes the rules? Who sets those boundaries? Okay, what does it mean to be good? What does it mean to behave? What does it mean to, to not do the wrong? That had been so, so, so taken out of context. The laws were given to show that we do have a sin problem. And the answer is that somebody has to pay for that. And God sent his own son into the world to do that. But the Jews had had organized all these different laws, all these other things, and all these things, and they had the schools of the scribes and the Pharisees, and they were teaching people, you got to do all these things, and nobody could measure up. But see, those laws weren't to tell us that this is how you measure up. They were to say in our own self, we can't do it. We need help outside of ourselves. And so when Jesus stepped on the scene, and this is one of his first first messages, the Sermon on the Mount, we might say it's just what normal living in God's kingdom should be like. If you want to be a normal person in God's kingdom, we have all these beatitudes. And I want to talk about them just a little bit. I know you kind of of have gone through those a little bit, but just think about this. 
The Beatitudes are Godward and manward. If you look at some of them, you know, blessed are those who are, what's the first one? Poor in spirit. There's a Godward and a manward aspect of this. And if you, if you go and you, you talk about this, this idea of brokenness before God, because I realize when I put myself before God, who am I? I still got the sin that, 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 that separates me from him. And unless he does a work on my behalf, I'm in trouble. It's beginning our life by looking at my relationship to God first. See, because all of humanity stands either in a right relationship with God or a broken relationship with God. And that's the first thing to answer. What is that relationship to God? And who do I, who do I go to? How can I stand before this God? And, and you've got to face that. Some of these aspects of, these, of the Beatitudes, the Be Happy Attitudes, have to do with that idea of being blessed, having a life that's blessed, because we are in a right relationship with God. It starts there. If that's not straight, everything else is going to be amiss. It's going to be wrong. I remember when the Lord called me. I uh, came from a family. My dad was 18. My mom was 13 when they got married. They were kids. And I was the fourth uh, the third of four children, didn't grow up in church, and life was a, kind of a, a bad place to be. And I remember thinking, if, if all that my relatives and all that I see in my family is all there is, life isn't really worth too much. But I remember being invited to church and hearing some stories of hope and seeing people that were different because in the Iwana Club, which was a kid's group, I didn't realize this at the time, but I was kind of a bad kid. I think they drew straws to see who was going to follow me around because they told me later, a teacher was always assigned to you. That was just, that was their task for the night. <laughs> and my dad was an angry man and, and man, if you got me mad, I got a brother that's bigger than me. He's still bigger than me. But man, when, if he got me mad, he knew I'd, I, I'd go for blood. I don't care. That's what it's going to be. You're going you're gonna to get me mad? You're going to deal with the heat. I don't want to flex too much. I don't want to rip the sweater. <laughs> but uh, I didn't have a right relationship with God, so there's no way with my family I was going to have right relationships. And I remember seeing in those people, there's something in them. There's something in, in those people that, that I didn't see, that I didn't know. And, and in reality, I was starting to see that these people had a relationship with God that I didn't have. And one of the first verses that we had to memorize as kids in that program was, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with... And that word peace. And I'm like, peace? Peace is possible? It wasn't in my family. I've never seen Peace. You never knew what the day was going to bring. It could be pretty bad. It could be just a non-day. But usually it was bad. You could have peace. And that word justified, I don't know what that word meant, but it, you know, it has to do something with God. I'm going to have peace, and then maybe that would seep into the other areas of my life. And I thought, yeah, there's a Godward aspect to these. Who am I before God? And uh, Jesus was trying to tell his followers, it's not about keeping rules. Because somebody could change the rules on you. And, and, and somebody's going to say, well, I'm keeping these rules better than you. And then they're looking down their nose at you. And God says, no, we're all broken. And you have to come to me as you are. And that's where it begins. This relationship first. 
and then the horizontal relationship. If I wanted a good relationship with my brother, you know, it's more or less, more or less stay away from him. Uh, but, but no, we still found each other. We shared a bedroom. <laughs> so, uh, but I remember my brother after I became a believer, um, you know, hitting me and taunting me and saying, hey, you're a, you trust in Christ now. Um, what's it going to be if I uh, kind of slap your face? You're supposed to turn the other cheek. Yeah. And you're supposed to, yeah, but it didn't say what to do after turning your cheek, so we had to fight after I turned my cheek. And <laughs> that, the, that's kind of how it was. But, but my brother started realizing that, no, there were changes in my life because I had a relationship with God. I didn't have to be the angry person that I was or that my, what, my, what I saw in my dad. There are also inward qualities to these uh, beatitudes that you guys have looked at already. These are things that, that start from the inward and then they go outward. Who am I on the outside? That's about rules. Who I am on the inside? That's about being made new by Jesus Christ. See, see, I didn't have a life that was worth living, but in Jesus Christ, he says, behold, any man who comes to me is a new creation. All things are made new. And it didn't matter that I had a bad starting place. I have a new starting place right now. And I can move on from there. And a lot of these Beatitudes talk about, what are you like on the inside? This new man, this new life, living in God's kingdom as though I'm a part of what God's doing in this world and I'm his child and I'm a part of his family means I'm starting from the new me with Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit inside of me and I'm going to be living differently. It starts here and then it goes out to all the situations and people I come in contact with. It is also both the present and future, which is, you look at some of these, you know, there is the kingdom of God, but then a bunch of these Beatitudes say they will be comforted. They will inherit. They will have stuff. So as a child of God, there's one aspect in which we recognize God is doing a work in this world right now, and we are a part of that. But his future kingdom in all of its, and we could, we could point to heaven even and say, it's going to be as great and as glorious as the scriptures say, and as great and glorious as Christ said. But some of that's not yet. You think about that. We live in a world of sin. And when you become a child of God, you're given a new position because of what Christ has done for you. He died in our place, took our penalty upon himself. And, and as such, we get his life, this new life being a new person. And, and positionally, we're starting over. But, but we have this thing called uh, the present time. And we might fail once in a while. We live in the presence of sin on a regular basis, but how do we live? You know, the day's coming when we will be separated forever from the presence of sin in heaven. So we're both living as, as kingdoms, dwellers of Jesus Christ, as part of his family, in both the, the current present, but yet not fully realized. So th- those are some of the aspects that he was talking about. And having a big list of rules and memorizing the rules and defining all those things aren't enough because it starts with that relationship to God. So uh, you might even look at it and change the words and say God word first and then man word. The vertical first and then the horizontal. Whenever we face a situation, it starts inward first. What has God done in me and what, what would he like me to do? What would Christ do? How does this new man, this new person that I've become live out my life now? 
with the Holy Spirit inside of us, we could say the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. We could look at other aspects, but it starts inward and outward. Outward is the rules. Let's get all the rules straight, and then you know, we'll take care of the other things. And Christ was challenging that in his day because they had added and, and changed it and flipped everything upside down. And we are living in the present, but there's a future coming in which God's going to make all things straight. We sang of the sting of death, right? I changed my tickets on my way here for a family funeral. We've had two family funerals in Sacramento area. You know, I'm, I'm kind of mad that, that death takes away family members. I don't know about you. You know, and, and death is the penalty of sin. Not that, not that people who die are, are, you know, they did something and therefore they died. We're all in that same boat, right? Tax season's coming up. What do they say? Two things that are going to happen, death and taxes, right? Death and taxes, it's, it's an enemy that we're, we're facing. But, but Christ shared all these things. We, we see all the things that, that could be those characteristics, the poor, the meek. Those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, are the, the categories there. And the promise is, we get all these things if we're living as a part of God's, God's kingdom. We receive the kingdom and we receive comfort. We receive mercy because we've been merciful. And it starts first with that relationship we have with God and it starts inside that, that I've been made new and therefore I can look at others and the horizontal relationships and everything that I face is viewed from God's kingdom perspective, not from the circumstances that I'm facing. But some people look at the circumstances and it's too big. I can't handle this. And God says, that's exactly right. You can't. And we have to throw ourselves down in front of in front of God and said, God, this is breaking me. I've done a lot of mourning the last couple of weeks over the death of my nephew. It's tragedy. Where do we find comfort? Is there some truth out there that's beyond this? And Christ is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, there's lots of pluses here for those who follow me. The, the last one, a great reward for those who are persecuted for my namesake. Is that what, we've, what we have? We see normal living in God's kingdom, the Beatitudes that, that Pastor Ryan's been working through with you guys, produces lives that are salt in life. And this is the passage, the main part that we're going to be in, in verses 13 through 17, 16, and I want to read those. We're still placing this in the context. Christ is dealing with the Old Testament and, the, and the, the, the penalty of death that is upon all of us. And he's saying, my kingdom dwellers, my family, my children are called to live differently. And it's not about rules. It's about having a new relationship and a new chance at life. So after all the Beatitudes, and you might say, be these attitudes. Look at these attitudes and let these be a part of your life. He goes up to verse 13 and he says, You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men 
that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. In reality, Christ is saying, if we do these things that are in the Beatitudes, it's going to be salt and light in the world and society, the school, the job, the family in which we live. So then, we want to, we want to keep going and look at the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. We, we could say normal living in God's kingdom, the Beatitudes, produces lives that are salt and light, which fulfill the righteous demands of the law. If we read verse 17 and down, Christ is saying, you know what? These kind of sound like something new here that I'm doing. And what he's really saying is this is kind of how it was always meant to be. And if you live this way, you're going to be salt and light. But back up a little bit, he says, you know, I didn't come to destroy the law. I didn't come to do away with all those 613 laws. That's, that's not the point. Those laws have a, a, a purpose. It's not about rule keeping, but it's about a life in right relationship with God. It's going to live a different kind of life. Laws are for lawbreakers, not for those who are living the right kind of life. As a parent, you tell your kids to be good. We're going to be gone just a little bit. What does that mean? And the minute you're out of the house, the kids are saying, what does be good really mean? Can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? Can we do this? Much better if they actually are, are good from the inside out, right? They're, you don't have to worry about them. And sometimes we say, oh, those things are earned. Those things, we, we get them. Uh, privileges are earned, and we can lose them just as quickly. You go on in the Sermon on the Mount, normal living in God's kingdom produces lives that are salt and light in the world, which fulfill the righteous demands of the law in contrast to the external rules of the Pharisees. Now Jesus is starting to get to the nitty-gritty. In this next section, 21-41, he says, You have heard it said. And he now starts harping on some of the areas where the Pharisees and the religious leaders had, the, had these laws all wrong. They misrepresented them. When he says, you've heard it said, he's, he's, he's referring to standard things that were understood by people of their day. And you look in, the, in this section, there's a whole bunch of areas that he talks about. Um, the, mostly we're talking about chapter 6. He talks about murder, adultery, divorce, uh, uh, oaths, injustice, and loving your enemies. You know, not an eye for an eye, but not just loving your friends, but love your enemies. You know, uh, about, about murder. Don't murder, right? That, well, that's a good thing. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Yep, I haven't murdered anybody lately. But Christ said, it's not just about murder, it's about what's inside your heart. If you have anger for, towards somebody and that's brewing inside your heart, anger is what usually leads to murder. You got murder in your heart for that person. You could take care of the externals and you look good in the eyes of other people. But what's the inside of your heart like? Has that been changed? Or are you just like everybody else? And Christ, Christ is saying, they have this standard about just, you know, it's okay. I remember, I remember my dad driving my uncles around once. Not a good family. And my dad wasn't really a super moral guy, but the uncles, uncles whistled at a gal on the side of the street. And uh, my dad stopped the car. And that girl came over and read them the right act. 
kind of, kind of like, you know, they were hollering things at her. And she said, that's not right. You know, I'm not, I don't belong to you. I'm not yours. I'm not your woman. I'm not your girlfriend. I'm not anybody you know. So don't be saying those things about me. And I, at first I was thinking my dad's did it, you know, but then I'm like, no, she, she told them what was right. And this is kind of what Christ said. Don't commit adultery. But he said, anybody who looks upon a woman to commit lust with her has already committed adultery inside. If we don't deal with some of those internal issues, it's not about those external ones, the, the rules and following the rules. It's about changing the heart. The heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? And we sometimes want what we want. And the, Jesus is calling his followers to let's get back in that right relationship with God and let's start with that relationship. And then we can move on and have a right perspective on other parts of life. So we're living the happy life, right? That's what we're doing. He goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to talk about other areas of contrast. Uh, about how living as a child of God is different than simply following rules. But, you know, we have a stereotype that, hey, man, if you go to church, you're going to, like, got this list of things you got to do. Can't do this, can't do that. You know, it's like, and every church is different, so who decides those lists? And the answer here is, if I'm a child of God, I don't need a list. He's given me everything I want because the old Pat Melson that used to be alive is, is no longer the Pat Melson that's living. I still have my same past. I still have that same, all that stuff I started from. But I'm a different person. I mean, if you want to talk about what God can do and what he does in life, it's awesome. See, my, my mom quit school when she was in seventh grade because that's when she got married. My dad had a fifth grade education. And you know what I've had the privilege of doing? Graduating from high school. That's a big deal in my family. You graduate normally from high school? Hey, you made it. Yay. I had a pastor that said, you know, you ought to think about going to Bible college. That's all he ever said. He didn't tell me reasons why to go to Bible college. He just said, you know, every Sunday you saw me, you ought to think about going to Bible college. Maybe God wants to do something in your life. And I ended up in Bible college, and I ended up going to school after that, and ended up going overseas just to teach in a Bible college. And come from a family with a fifth grade, seventh grade education, and have been the director of a Bible college for over 15 years. That is hilarious. I think that's funny. <laughs> After about fifth grade, my parents couldn't help me with my homework. And now I'm a director of a Bible college. <laughs> it didn't matter where you start from, see? Because this new life that Christ wants to give you is going to move forward and progress. And, and living the happy life as, as salt and light, what does that mean? Let's talk about uh, Salt. What does salt do? What did it do in the biblical, biblical times? Preservative, right? You know, preservative is very good. Uh, think of beef jerky, right? Salted fish can last a long time. It's very helpful. Very needed, especially in days when they didn't have refrigeration. And salt can be a preservative. And he says, you are preservative when you live the kind of life I want you to live. That the choices you make, the words that you say, the attitudes that you bring to a relationship can maybe preserve that relationship a little bit longer because you're letting Christ live through you. Salt also improves flavor. Potato chips without salt? Mm. Fries without salt? What about sunflower seeds without salt? What about bacon, right? You use bacon, it has salt in it too. And... 
If food's a little on the bland side, a little tiny flavoring, you know, uh, I grew up in Sacramento and half of my family used salt on watermelon. Anybody ever do that? Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not, bad. It's not a bad thing. I think it's a, it's a good thing. But I also like watermelon that, that, that just, you know, when it's dripping down your, your elbows, that's when the watermelon's the best. But salt improves flavor. And if you think about this, if we're living the kind of life Christ wants us to live, the situation that he places us in should be better because we're there. should taste better for others that are around there. Um, uh, as believers, as children of God, and we shouldn't be leaving a bad taste in people's mouths. It should be looked upon at work or in the family or whatever. Hey, Pat's a good guy. Or Cheryl, she's really nice. You know, and man, she's solid and we could count on her. It's better when she shows up to work. Now, I've, I was working till recently in a gas station, and we had uh, eight people in our little department. And it was kind of funny because we had a couple of guys that didn't work too much. And whenever you were scheduled to work with them, you're like, I'm going to be carrying him the whole time. And uh, the one guy was about two of me, so it was really hard to carry him. He could pick me up by my arms. He did it once, just like this. Hey, Pat, he's reaching down to me. Just pick me up, just like that. And when, when I have to do his work and my work, and when they found out I was quitting, he's like, oh, man, i got to start working again. <laughs> I don't know. We all have people like that in the places where we work, don't we? But if you're there as a child of God, things should be better because you're there. But one of the issues, too, that in the passage is salt can lose its effectiveness. And we as believers, if we're not living those kingdom principles, living the normal Christian life, living the life God wants us to live, First and foremost, I get up every day and said, God, this is your day. And I begin again with you today. And I don't deserve the blessings, the grace that you've poured into my life. I don't deserve the wife you gave me. I don't deserve any of this. But I have it because you've been good to me. And we move forward. But, you know, sometimes we pull things into our life and we we don't have so solid of a testimony. What about light? In the passage, we see a couple of things that should not be hidden, and light is also a good example. It bears witness to those around. I mean, you, 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 could, you could talk about these things. You know, let your light shine before men. I mean, what does light do? I'm, I'm standing in some lights right now, and I can't see some of your faces very well. That's okay. I would like to see your faces better, but this is just how the stage works best. But what does light do? It reveals. It shines. It has its own testimony. The lives we live, Christ said, is a light. He said in another passage, I'm the light of the world, but he said, you are the light of the world. When people look at you, they see something that's different. And besides a good example, it produces good works. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works, and praise your Father in heaven. This is kind of similar to the verse Peter wrote when he said something to the similar, you know, uh, always be ready to give an answer to the hope that you have within you. The way you live is something that people are looking at. It's an example. So, so how are you living? When stuff happens, when life happens, How can you be salt and light? How can you be these things? Think about being poor in spirit. 
this aspect that before God I don't deserve His grace and mercy because I was a sinner. But He gave me new life and every day I get up and I say, I get to be a child of God today. And God word first in my life, what does He have for me today? So when, when things happen and when life happens, when circumstances come up, when maybe they're starting to cut back hours, or you don't know how things are going to go, or there's family problems, Salt and light, it's a preservative. When we live the way Christ wants us to live, it can, it can be a preservative in that relationship or in that situation, maybe to make it, it last a little bit longer or to be better. Salt and light also improves flavor. It should be better because we're there. And, and the answer sometimes is not that we, we will never have to go through difficult things as children of God, but that how does a child of God go through difficult things? Well, my daughter, Abby, they said we're going to do surgery for her when she got really sick. We don't know whether she's going to live or die, but we'll do another surgery tomorrow. And we were like that over two weeks. You know what? It's a little bit hard to deal with that. Abby's doing well, by the way. But I remember thinking about this. You know, uh, God, how, how does a child of God go through that? And... God blessed us with our children. They're treasures from Him. They're an, uh, they were always His, and they're only ours for a short time, right? Not a lot of parents think that way, though, sometimes. And we, we prayed about this, and we talked about it. God, we want her back. Give her back to us. But she's yours, and if you want to take her, you can take her. And I remember... People coming to the hospital to visit us, and we had the chaplain from the hospital come around just to talk to us. And he's like, I don't need to be here, but I'm dealing with some really heavy stuff in the hospital, and I just want to hear you guys talk. And I'm like, this is the chaplain in the hospital saying this to us. And, and, and it's like, we're going through burying a child, one of the hardest things that you could ever do. Maybe. We don't know. And he comes around to us to see how we as, as children of God are, are going to face this. See, because this circumstance, as hard, as crushing, as difficult as it is, God is with us. That circumstance may seem to be the biggest thing in the world to you. But in reality, the biggest thing in the world is the sin problem we had and that God provided an answer through Jesus Christ and those who put their faith in Him have a new life, not just right now, but for all eternity. And He who freely gave up His Son will also give us everything we need. See, He gave up the dearest thing. Everything else we need is little compared to His own Son. So do you walk into your situations with that kind of, a, of, a, of an idea, that kind of thinking? That, that it, it's difficult, it's hard, but you know what? God is way bigger than this. And how does he want me to maybe make it better? Can I be a part of that? The issue, too, is that of a good example. Again, what does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a missionary, right? I could never do that. I could never, you know... Uh, Go out and not know where my support's coming from and do those things. And it's like, you know, as a believer, I have a Heavenly Father who's promised to take care of me every single day. What 
we as children of God all are supposed to live by faith. He has very great and precious promises. He's proven himself. So, so and I think, I think as well as a father, this is a hard one. Our lives bear a witness first and foremost to those who are in our house, our children. Are we living, being salt and light to them? I remember an old commercial a long time ago. It was a cigarette commercial where the dad's walking with the son. And he sits down under a tree, pulls out a cigarette to smoke, and the little boy reaches over for that pack, right? Because he wants to imitate his dad. I imitated my dad with my anger. I thought that was normal. And uh, went after my brother a few times with bad, bad intent. But also, light produces good works. How, how in this situation I'm facing, can I produce good works? As somebody poor in spirit and humble before God, I realize sometimes life's so hard. You have no place to go but God, right? I, uh, my sister Barb just lost her son. Been talking to her every day. Texting her and I'm like, Sis, I know where I can go today for help. And it's God. Others in the family may not be a help. And some of you maybe have that in your life. Others in the family aren't a help. Where do I go? And we, we're broken. A lot of people are broken. Christ's been preaching this sermon, the Beatitudes, and now he's saying, you know, we've got to live it out. So when, when stuff happens, how are we salt and light in the sense of hungering and thirsting for righteousness? He says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled. See, I'm living temporarily here. My real home is heaven. I'm a part of God's kingdom. He's building his church right now. I'm a part of his family right here. But I know the reality of what's coming. And one of the things our society with the Me Too movement and a lot of that is crying out for is justice, right? People need their justice. They've got to have their justice and their rights and they're not being heard. And you know what? First and foremost, long before Me Too was ever around, God said, I have justice. Who cares for the widows and the oppressed and the orphans? That's who our God is. And he's called his people to be that kind of a people. We should, we should be members that, that seek God's justice in the world. Why? Because there's a lot of wicked people in the world. It's not right. Man, I so appreciate seeing the thing for, for foster children. That's such a tremendous opportunity to minister to people who've had a rough life and don't see justice in their life. And what they need to see is the love of Christ reaching into their life. And maybe your example could be something to help them. If I'm hungering and thirsting for righteousness when people are talking about things and how to solve stuff and I bring about an idea that might be a biblical way to solve stuff or a biblical way to move forward rather than the way the world thinks about it, we're being a testimony. We're being an example. We're standing up for things. You know, we don't have time to go through all of these, but it'd be helpful to make a chart of all of these things. I want to say, are you living the happy life? The blessed life of God that looks to Him and His kingdom first.
that looks at what God has done inside of your heart first and knowing, you know what? I came from a family where anger was pretty bad, but you know what? In Jesus Christ and because of Jesus Christ, that doesn't have to be the way I operate now. In our families, in our workplaces, when I think of this idea of light, I think of a passage in Second, Second uh, Corinthians, and I want to read this as we close, just thinking about it. Paul, Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and he was talking a little bit about light. He was talking about Moses, who was, was the receiver of the Ten Commandments from God, and he presented the Ten Commandments and all those laws to the children of Israel. And, and when he came down from the mountain where God gave him the Ten Commandments, it says his face glowed because he had spent time with God. As believers, that's kind of it. We have a relationship with God. It should show in our lives. And, and, and he speaks this in uh, chapter 3 and verse 12 of Second Corinthians. He says, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to hide that light because the children of Israel were afraid. God was distant. He was up there, and, and, and he's scary, and the mountains was thundering, and, and who is this God? And, and it made Moses' face go. That would kind of be scary, but you know what? He uses that as an analogy for the light that should come from us in this dark and desperate and lonely world. He says this, We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. See, because I was made new because of a work of Jesus Christ. He's called me to live differently. Why? Because he made me new from the inside out. Every day I get up and it's like, God, you're bigger than anything I'm going to face. And because of the good things you've done in my life, I'm going to trust you this day. As I seek to be like Christ, I'm going to follow what it means to be a new man. Now think about those things, the, the poor in spirit, the broken, the meek, those who are gentle and humble. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for good in this life. Boy, I want that for my kids and for their kids. I want to see it in my neighbor's life. And you know what? God's called us to be salt and light. If we are not living it, how will they know? I'm a missionary to Papua New Guinea. I'm going to tell you, probably the most important feature of, of getting me to Papua New Guinea wasn't people talking to me about Papua New Guinea. It was normal believers in a little tiny church that doesn't even exist anymore who lived out Christ to me, a young kid, that they had to draw straws to follow her around because I was so bad. God has called you to be a salt and a light. And I, I just want to ask this question and think about this week that's coming up. I like the idea of salt improving things. What, because you are a child of God, does God want you to improve this week? Just one thing. Maybe you're in your family. That's a good place to start. Maybe it's work. But what thing can you be salt 
and make things better. Improve the situation because you are a child of God. You are a person of the kingdom, a child of God living for his kingdom right now. And also wanted to share that with those around you. You know what? We do it by how we live. And you are the salt and the light that people will see that and they'll go like, whoa, how, how do you do that? How come you're different? Let's pray. Father, as we think of Christ's example of being an example to his disciples, we think of 